0: So, for me, buyer centric social means rising above the crowd. It means rising above the noise. It means recognizing that nobody's on LinkedIn for your sales pitch. No one's on LinkedIn for your ads. And if all you do is regurgitate company promotional content and try to pitch slap people, it's not going to work.
1: Welcome to Rep Your Brand, a podcast for B2B marketers who are looking to build their career through a strong personal brand. Rep Your Brand is hosted by Nick Bennett, one of LinkedIn's top voices on field marketing and personal branding. branding. In each episode, Nick captures stories on how to overcome the challenges marketers face with growing their brand. So if you're a marketer looking to open doors and create opportunities that you never thought were possible, then listen in to get tangible tips and strategies to build your very own personal brand. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rep Your Brand, a podcast for B2B marketers who are looking to build their careers through a strong personal brand. I'm Nick Bennett. This podcast is brought to you by my friends at Motion. They're a done-for-you podcasting service for scrappy marketing teams and B2B tech. The two of the nicest guys around the work that they do is truly world-class. You can find them at motionagency.io. And today I'm excited because this is someone that I've honestly been following for a while. Their content is always amazing. Our guest today is Steve Watt, who's the Director of Market Insights at Seismic, and honestly, an amazing follow on LinkedIn. So if you're not following him, make sure to go do that right now. Steve, thanks for joining me.
0: Well, thanks, Nick. I'm excited for this. I tell you, every morning I get up and say, is today the day that Nick's going to invite me to be on this podcast? Yeah, every day I, you know, every night I go to bed disappointed. But today is the day. So excited to be here. I know you've had some amazing guests on your show, and you yourself are such a leader in this space. So
1: I'm excited, to be a little part of this. I appreciate that. That means a lot to me. Thank you. So I want to kind of just get into this because I want to ask you a question, and I want to get your thoughts on it. We're both big into personal branding. We understand the benefits of it. People say that personal branding is adding value, but it doesn't give anyone tangible advice. Like what does personal branding in adding value mean to you at the end of the day? That's a big question. I mean, okay. We all know the external, I'm going
0: to talk about the internal value. So, because I mean, I, you don't need, your listeners don't need anyone to tell you that building a great reputation will help you <laughs> with, you know, getting new jobs. It'll help, you know, pull in great business opportunities for your firm. It'll get you invited on podcasts and speaking at conferences and stuff like that, that then are accelerators for all these other things. You know what I don't think people talk enough about is the impact on your internal reputation within your company. Now, if you're in a 20 person company, you know, you're having lunch with everybody every day. Anyways, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in mid-sized or large firms. When you build a great personal brand and a personal reputation, let's focus on LinkedIn that does wonders for you internally. And I see that. I mean, I'm in a 1500 person company, so not huge, but not small. I have more relationships, better relationships, more senior relationships. Like I have relationships with the C-suite that I wouldn't otherwise have. I have much deeper Relationships with a far wider range of our sellers than I otherwise would have. Uh, And that is amazing because, you know, it opens up internal promotion and advancement doors for me. It also makes our sellers feel really comfortable asking me to join them on sales calls and other things like that, that maybe they wouldn't be quite so likely to do if we hadn't been bonding around this stuff online and everything. So, Beyond all the obvious stuff, I think we need to talk more about how being good at this stuff really helps you build an internal reputation.
1: It's it's so important. You know, it's interesting because Kathleen Booth actually put out a a LinkedIn post today. And I know people are going to be like, well, today, what does that mean? You're listening to this podcast like a couple of weeks from now. But anyways, go look up Kathleen Booth and she put out a, a post today about how employees who are building personal brands for themselves are driving revenue and impact for the company that they work for and she graciously tagged me which was really nice to see but you know i've been a big proponent of this and i'm you know i don't work for a 1500 person company i think we're like 150 people or so right now but i mean i talk to the ceo on a regular basis you know i'm i'm similar to you very well connected with the executive team the sales team i joined seven to ten sales calls a week so it makes a huge huge difference when you can add value internally and people think of you in a completely different light and it's like it's funny because our our ceo is always just like you're like our little linkedin celebrity and he's just like you know (laughs) and i have another question that i'm going to ask you after this but He's just like, you know, we're so, you know, happy that you're here. Everything that you do for the community is so amazing. And my question to you, Steve, is like people aren't going to stay at the same company that they work at forever. It's, you know, my mom's worked for Raytheon for like 40 something years now. And like, she's just like, you're 35 and you've had like seven jobs already. Um, And I'm just like, yeah, the tech world's different. But, you know, what are your thoughts on employers? empowering employees to build their brand, but also knowing that there's potentially risk that they may leave because, hey, they're doing such a great job. The market's hot somewhat and they're going to get snatched up. Like, what would you say to that?
0: So I say, don't be afraid and absolutely empower them and enable them. And yeah, some of them are going to leave, but you know what? some of them are going to leave anyway. You, you know, that that comic that always kicks around periodically, it's been out right there for years. It's the one guy saying, well, what if we train them and they leave? And, and the other guy says, well, what if we don't train them and they stay? You know, it's the same kind of thing for, for brand building. Oh, what if we encourage and enable and empower them to do great things on, and social and they leave? Yeah, well, it happened. But, but what if we tell them not to or we don't help them in any way and they stay? And now we've just got like a company full of like, you know, people who are completely missing the mark in terms of so much of modern selling and modern marketing, but Oh, they stayed. I mean, the reality is, as you said, some people are going to go. And, you know, honestly, I think you're less likely to go if you are, I I mean, I feel so empowered and supported by my employer and what I'm doing. That makes me less likely to consider going. Not, not more likely, less likely. And I imagine it's similar for you. If you were in a company that told you, Nick, you're like, come on, man, sit down, shut up. You know, you got work to do, keep your head down kind of thing. <laughs> You'd probably, I'm, I'm out of here, right? <laughs> so, you know, I think it's exactly backwards. You know, I, I think the, the more you empower and enable people, not only will they do greater things for you and become magnets for all kinds of, uh, of business opportunities, magnets, for talent, I mean, because people look at someone like you and they go, like, if they don't know Alice, but they know Nick, they're like, not only might I become a customer, but I might want to go work there, you know? So don't be afraid. You know, let your people really shine. It's gonna do you a world of good. And yeah, a few of them are gonna leave, but the, you know, a few people are gonna leave
1: anyway. Yep. Yeah, couldn't agree more with you there. So let's talk about LinkedIn posts. So, like, you know, yeah, everyone puts out LinkedIn posts. I feel like You know, it's interesting. I read a stat recently that was saying a year ago, like 1% of LinkedIn's population created content. And now by the end of 22, it could be up to as much as like 4%, which is a huge number if you think about it. But, you know, in your mind, what's a better way to engage your prospects instead of a regular old fashioned CTA at the end of each post? Like what would you do that's buyer centric to like help them out? Yeah, I actually wrote
0: a post a few weeks ago saying I I fundamentally disagree with the notion that you should always have a CTA because in fact, I think a CTA can be uh, counterproductive to the the building of credibility and relationships and, and, and reputation and trust if everything ends with and that's why you should buy our stuff click over here you know and some people kind of challenged me on that and said well maybe maybe steve you're being too narrow and you're thinking about ctas and and it's not just like it's not just a call to buy something it could be a call to take some form of action you know that i kind of agree with but aside from that i think the real opportunity i talk a lot about what i call buyer-centric social selling. And, and that's a very purposeful choice of terminology because I think social selling has been kind of burned in a lot of people's minds as a, a very aggressive hunting behavior that happens to take place on a social network. You know, pitch slappers connect the pitch, you know, and, and nobody's, nobody's here for that. Nobody wants that. Might have worked five years ago, doesn't work now. And in fact, you're you're pushing away the people that you should instead be pulling towards you. So for me, buyer-centric social means rising above the crowd. It means rising above the noise. It means it means recognizing that nobody's on LinkedIn for your sales pitch. No one's on LinkedIn for your ads. And if all you do is is you know regurgitate company promotional content and try to pitch slap people, it's not gonna work. And You know, you might get that one meeting once in a while, but you're probably blind to all the reputation and and trust that you're burning on the process of that. So instead, rise above. Recognize that people are on LinkedIn to learn. They're there to grow. They're there to advance their own interests, not yours. They're not there for you. They're not there for me. They're there for themselves. So how can I rise above the noise? How can I actually share the kind of content that is interesting and valuable and helpful to them? And how can I help them achieve their goals? So, you know, that changes the kind of content that I share. It changes the way I share it. And of course, it also changes the kind of engagement. A lot of people are out there you know doing the old post and ghost kind of thing where they're they're seeing LinkedIn as a broadcast channel. And if I can just push my brilliant words to an ever larger audience, then the world will be the path to my door. And that doesn't work for the vast majority of us. You get so much further if you really embody buyer centricity and audience centricity and and read other people's posts and engage and like and comment in helpful ways and make introductions to different people. And, you know, it's just, it's so fundamental. It's easy to say, Oh, be buyer centric. Everyone's, you know, <laughs> let's put a poster on the wall, but, but it really is a challenging notion because you've got to seriously question broadcast advertising thinking. You've got to seriously question hunting thinking you've got to seriously question, you know, selfish behavior of all kinds and truly try to educate inspire and help others and trust that by doing so
1: you know you will gain over time i love that that's incredibly well said i want to piggyback off that because you you mentioned a lot but i want to figure out like how can we become the seller that buyers actually want to speak with? And you kind of mentioned a little bit, but like, like you said, everyone's on LinkedIn for their own, you know, reasons, but like, you know, I'm impacting revenue and I'm, I'm we'll get to it as well, but I'm sure you're impacting revenue. Like how can we become the seller that people want to work with? Yeah,
0: I think there's a lot to it. I mean, one thing, I mean, basic, like just rewrite your LinkedIn profile for one thing. Most sellers, well, most people's LinkedIn profiles are terrible. sellers are even worse. You know, most people have not changed their mindset from a decade ago when we were told that LinkedIn is, is your resume online. Right. So most people have these awful bare bones lists of where they used to work. And then some sellers are even worse. It's the brag sheet, right? It's the, you know, they, they list each year or each quarter what their quota attainment was and how many times they've gone to president's club, like listed on their LinkedIn profile? Like, are you looking for a job like right this minute? Or are you actually trying to sell something? Are you trying to, are you trying to perform in your current role? And these are like the absolute opposite of buyer centric, right? A buyer centric profile is not your resume and it's not a brag sheet about how awesome you are. Those are completely off putting to your prospects and your customers. Instead, you know, rewrite your profile as a statement to them about, you know, who I am who my company is, who we serve, how we make a difference in their world. Make it about them. Think of it as a as a, a client-facing, buyer-facing marketing asset rather than a resume or a brag sheet. So that's fundamental. And then it's get out there, as we said a few minutes ago, and share that great content that's not just – like, Hey, we won an award and come to our webinar, you know, actually, if you sell into a particular industry or you serve a particular sort of stakeholder primarily, well, what are they reading? What do they need to know? What, you know, what are the, what are the key publications that are going to be highly interesting and relevant to those people? You need to be finding these, you need to be reading these. So you're on the same level as them. And then you need to be publicly demonstrating that you walk the same paths as they do share that content and bring your own voice about what aspects of it you agree with, disagree with what you would add on to it. And sure, mix some of your company content in there. But, but if all you do is share your company content, nobody's listening to you because now you're not an authentic professional, you're an advertiser, right? So, it's the profile, it's the mix of the content you share, and then it's the engagement. And so, you know, if you really want to crack into certain firms or, or certain industries or whatever, you need to be following all the right people. You need to be engaging with them in authentic ways and not just immediately trying to slide into their DMs with an ask. You know, slow your role, build some credibility at first. And this, because 99% of sellers don't do this. This is how you become the seller that the buyers actually want to speak with. Cause they recognize that you're, you're doing something different. They recognize that you're not being selfish and you're not being transactional. And they recognize that you actually understand their world and you have something to contribute to that world. And now they may be just as excited to talk to you as you are to them. And, and you can truly put yourself miles above the hundred other sellers who are just trying to barge into their world with old mindsets and old playbooks.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was honestly amazing advice. Like I couldn't have said it any better. I mean, you you said it perfectly. I want to switch gears a little bit because this is something, and I posted about this yesterday, about being burnt out and like getting to a point where, you know, you've created content for over two years now. Like I was doing it five days a week or one post a day. And then this year I went up to two times a day. And I just kind of hit a point where I was just like, I always told myself if this ever felt like a job, I would step away. And so I took a week and a half off. I was fortunately on vacation. So it just kind of worked out. But, you know, how can we keep our audience engaged for the long run? Like, how can we keep on posting content regularly without running out of unique ideas? Like, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, it's a great question because I think you can fall off the road in a lot of different ways here. Like, there's a lot of ditches you can fall into. You can fall in the ditch of, just constantly banging the same drum such that people don't even need to read your posts anymore because they know what you're going to say. Cause you always just say the same thing. Well, don't fall into that ditch, but you can. there's another ditch on the other side, which is like the random acts of content. Like I've no idea what this guy's talking about or what he stands for. Cause every post is different and you know, there's no continuity. There's no thread that runs through it. Right. So there's a balancing act between don't be boring and repetitive, but, but you do have to kind of repeat everything. So, you know, that's, that's one level of balance. And of course there's a balance about posting too much or not enough. And, you know, there's a balance of being uh, too promotional and like, everything's got a, like, got a CTA. As we said before, everything like leads back to, this is why you should buy my thing. You don't (laughs) want to fall into that ditch, but sometimes, you know, you can avoid that ditch so strongly that you fall in the other ditch and people think, wow, what a great guy. And they have no concept of, of, (laughs) you know, what you sell. So (laughs) there's a lot of balancing acts going on. I guess my guiding principles in this seem to work well for me is, is that I know what I'm about. I have a central message about buyer centric social selling and client centric employee uh, advocacy and better approaches to social and what that means for individuals and also what it means for entire businesses and how to get there and what that looks like. Have a true north. I have a message and I hope that most people who see me around LinkedIn could, in some kind of words describe you said, what's Steve about? I hope they would say something in that neighborhood, (laughs) but then I express it in a whole lot of different ways. You know, sometimes in a long, you know, soapbox rant, sometimes in a short, you know, hot take sometimes aimed directly at sellers, sometimes aimed at talent acquisition leaders, sometimes aimed at marketers, sometimes aimed at the C-suite, you know, sometimes kind of industry specific, sometimes not sometimes with real humor and sometimes no much more serious. So, you know, I try to, I try to mix up the form and the substance. And, you know, sometimes with video and sometimes with an image and sometimes just post and sometimes with a, a, an attached article. So if, if I mix up the, the medium and I mix up all this stuff, but it always orbits a, a core message. And to me, that's the right balance because then I don't, I don't get bored of doing it myself for one thing. And also, hopefully, I, I, I've been saying this term a lot, become a scroll stopper, right? I, I truly believe for all the focus people have on like, oh, you got to have an awesome first line, you know, you got to hook them in. It's like, yeah, okay. But at the end of the day, I'm most likely to read or not read a post based on who it is. Yeah. Like, if you are a scroll stopper for me, and I don't care what your opening line is. It could be gibberish. I'm going to stop and read because you have very seldom, if ever, let me down in the past. And conversely, if you've let me down a bunch in the past with a bunch of fluffy, whatever, you know, that guy, and I'm scrolling by, you might have a brilliant opening line, but <laughs> I saw your face. I saw your name. I'm moving on. I've been burned four times before. You're not going to get me again. Right. So like, I'm a big believer that, you know, you need to become a scroll stopper for people. And that means you can't just hammer the same thing in the same way. So ultimately for me, Know what you're about, have a, have a North star, have a central message, but get really good at expressing it in a lot of different ways so that people, hopefully it it sticks about who you are and what you're about. And they know what to reach out to you
1: of all, all the other people out there. They know what to reach out to you about. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely love that. that. That's really great advice. All right. I want to ask you this question because I feel like it's an interesting one and it could spark some, some debate here. Do you think that marketers are to blame that SME owners view branding as a drain of money rather than a driver? So that's kind of like the overall, like what I've been thinking because I've had others actually tell me that before. If your mindset is the same or different, like how can we overcome the branding versus revenue perception? Yeah, that's the million dollar question in a lot of firms, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. I I always say it's not
0: brand or demand, it's brand for demand. Mm. Like if you build brand, not in a superficial way, I think, I think we're a little bit of a tangent, but I think where some people go wrong in this debate is they have a superficial understanding of what brand is. They think brand is a color scheme or a logo or, you know, a a tagline or something. And, and then, yeah, they're kind of right saying, well, that doesn't really drive demand that doesn't really drive revenue. But I don't think, br- I don't think your brand is, is just your visual identity. I think your brand is so much more than that. I think your brand is your much deeper identity and you know, who, who your firm is and, and, and the mission and values of that firm and who you serve and the difference you make in their world. And the people, like I often say, brand lives at the edge of the firm, that brand doesn't just, you know, no longer just lives in your central advertising voice at headquarters. You know, your brand is the sum total of the reputation and the relationships of your people out there. So if you have a more holistic and and deeper notion of what brand means, then it's really hard to say that that stuff doesn't matter. Like, how can you tell me none of that stuff matters? I would seriously, like if you're a CEO and you tell me that none of that stuff matters, I do not want to work for you (laughs) full stop. Right. So I think it's important to kind of parse this idea of what even is brand before we get into like, well, is it connected to revenue? Is it not? Is it this and is it that? Because, um, I can't blame someone who thinks brand is just, you know, superficial visual identity to say, well, it doesn't really matter. Like, you know, we, we've got to focus on, you know, what we do for our clients. So I see brand bigger and more deeper and more important. So it just hundred percent, it, it connects to revenue. It connects to demand. So who's at fault for a disconnect? Ah. I mean, there's no question that some marketers are terrible at explaining this stuff. And there's also no question that some CEOs aren't going to hear it. They're just not. Some CEOs have a very transactional short-term approach to everything. So, you know, you're, you're not always going to find a way to bring these things together. But a good starting point is stepping back and saying, when we say brand, what do we say? When I say brand and when you say brand, what do we mean? because we might be missing each other here. We might be, (laughs) the, the disagreement might not really be as fundamental as we think, because we're both understanding what a brand is in different ways.
1: Yep. Yeah. Couldn't agree more with you there. And it's just, I think it goes into the bigger like thing is like, you know, well, one does the CEO even get marketing, which could open another whole thing. But like, you know, I've worked for CEOs before that like, didn't really understand marketing and it was just like oh, your job's just to go get leads and like, or they're just like, you know, go do some more brand events. Like, you know, create the brand awareness. Like, what is that, like, what does brand mean? Like you said, what does brand mean to you and to me and to others? It could be completely different. So definitely agree with you there.
0: Yeah, awareness alone. You exist, congratulations. Yes. Awareness alone isn't important, isn't valuable, but clarity on what you're all about and who you serve and what kind of difference you make in their lives. That's
1: super Exactly. All right. So I know we're coming up on time. I've got two final questions for you. The first one is how can people make their LinkedIn profiles more buyer centric? Just
0: put yourself in the shoes of someone else reading it. And that person who's not a recruiter, you know, get out of the notion that, that your, your LinkedIn profile only serves you in terms of getting your next job, you know, like think of it as a billboard or a a mini website or a, or a flyer or whatever the metaphor you choose. It's a statement to your current customers and to your future customers and, and really try to put yourself in their shoes and said, if they did not know me at all, and this is what they read, what have they learned? What sentiment are they likely to feel towards me? And how likely are they to want to talk to me? You know, if it's a boring resume, it's just a big meh, right? Whatever. It's some guy who has a job clearly wants to sell me something. Well, okay. If it's a brag sheet about his incredible quota attainment then I know that he just wants to convert me into money. So now it's, I'm actually like pulling away. Like in the resume thing, I just feel ambivalent towards you in the, you're bragging about how much money you make or, or how, you know, or in one case I saw a guy whose LinkedIn profile proudly proclaimed a sales guy that he's a bastard negotiator. Oh, awesome. He will squeeze me for every last cent. I can't wait to talk to him. Right? Like this is the ultimate of not being buyer centric. So ask yourself, what will they learn? What kind of emotional judgment will they make about me? Will they be more or less likely to want to talk to me? And more or less likely to think that I can bring the kind of value that is, is going to make it worth their their precious time to talk to me. And get some other people. Like don't just to, to, like do that yourself, but also you know get a few friends or family members to read it. Maybe people who don't even really understand what your company does say read this. Tell me what you think you learned, and tell me how you feel about me right now. If you didn't know me, uh, it, it can be an eye opening experience.
1: Yeah, no, it's great advice for sure. It's It's something that like I've worked with our sales team on as well, because some of them, um, you know, I don't the ones that that had weird profiles, I don't think are here anymore. But, you know, it's something that some people just don't even think. And it's it's something that uh, is definitely important to look at.
0: It all starts with the mindset. It's not a formula. It's not like, here's the eight things you have to do. It's a mindset. It's about thinking of this as the, the leading edge of the wedge of someone who is going to learn something and decide whether to talk to you or not and putting yourself in their shoes. Once you flip that mindset, it's easy. Everything else falls into place. 100%.
1: Yep, 100% with you there. All right, so Steve, if you could only give one piece of advice to newbies who are looking to create a new personal brand for themselves, figure out how to get started, Like, what would that be? Stand for something
0: believe in something and stand for something publicly because LinkedIn isn't Instagram, right? It's not about being beautiful, famous, popular. It's not about all of the amazing photos you can share. It's about rising above the noise. And when you stand for something, when you think about some of the most successful people on LinkedIn, the people who've built tremendous reputation and have become absolute magnets for opportunities of all sorts, you, you know what they stand for. Like you, it's, it's clear what they stand for. It's clear and it's material. Like <laughs> standing for something means you got to be clear about what you believe and why it matters, but it also, it has to matter. Like there's no point in standing for something that who cares. Right. It's like the guy who loves dogs, you know, I really like stand Oh, I don't know. Does that, does that matter? You know, like you know, really, uh, who doesn't? Right? Something wrong with you if you don't love dogs. So you know, stand for something, and be clear and purposeful about it. But also make sure it's something that matters and 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 matters to not random people, but matters to the people that matter to you. Matters to the people that you seek to engage and build your reputation and your influence with. So yeah stand for something and and the great majority of people out there on linkedin who say well i'm trying to be more active and everything but eh, i never get any engagement and yeah they're the people who do it for a little bit and it's because they never
1: stood for anything. that's fantastic advice honestly that would probably be my piece of advice as well so it's funny how like closely aligned we are because i feel like there's so many people that just don't stand for anything and for me it was a little bit easier it was like the whole like field marketing thing is like you know it's more than just events and people tried to fight me on that a bunch um but it helped me get to where i am today as well so i'm definitely grateful for that Amazing. absolutely i mean if, if honestly if you stand if a hundred percent of people
0: agree with you then you're not really standing for anything because you know, And if nobody at all agrees with you, (laughs) you you might have to question what you stand for, but you know, I like you can't please everyone. And, you know, it's often said that if no one would ever say the opposite, then you're not saying anything of consequence, right? If you say like, don't murder people, you know, I don't think anyone's going to go. No, I seriously think you should. Right. So like, if you, if everyone agrees with you, you don't stand for anything. I was talking before about balances and not falling in the ditch. on either side. I think you got to stand for something. It's got to be compelling. It's got to be material. And, and some people need to disagree with you or else you're not really doing it.
1: Definitely with you there. Amazing. Steve, thank you so much for joining me. Where can people go to connect with you, learn more about you, anything that you want to plug seismic, whatever, feel free to, to do that. I'll add it all in the show notes as well. Well, big
0: surprise, find me on LinkedIn. Don't pitch slap me, bro. I'm not there for a pitch slap, but I'm there for a conversation like you. I regularly share content and like you, I regularly engage with other people's content when it's good and interesting and compelling. So I welcome connection requests. I welcome follows,
1: whatever you prefer. Let's help each other thrive. Amazing. Steve, thank you again so much for joining me today. It was an absolute pleasure spending time with you. Likewise, Nick. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Rep Your Brand. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And if you learned something new today, it'd be great if you left us a review. We'll catch you next time.